Let me ask you a question as, as we begin. How would you answer this question? And I, and I thought about uh, asking you to discuss this question when you stood up, but I decided at the last moment to not do that. Uh, but here it is. Why are you a Christian? If you are a Christian, why? Think about that for just a moment. If you were to have to answer that question, somebody were to ask you that, you know, in, either in a group or one-on-one, or if I had had gone through with asking you to answer that question when you stood up and greeted one another, how would you have answered it? Why are you a Christian? You might have said, well, because of the influence of others in my life, because I was raised in a Christian home, because I had Christian parents and grandparents, because I had friends who were Christians, because there were one or two people I can pinpoint as people who taught me about the Bible and about the Gospel. So, I am a Christian today because of the influence of others in my life. Some of you might have said, well, simply, I'm a Christian because I made the decision to follow Jesus Christ. I made a personal choice to be obedient to the Gospel. I decided to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and be baptized for the forgiveness of my sins, and therefore, I am a Christian. The great Christian writer and thinker of the last century, John Stott, once answered this question. And he mentioned the influence of others, and he mentioned this what we just talked about, making a personal decision to follow Jesus. But he said, those two are not the primary reasons that I'm a Christian. He says, those are reasons, but the primary reason that I'm a Christian is because of the hound of heaven. Jesus Christ who pursued me relentlessly even when I was running away from him in order to go my own way. And he didn't mean anything disrespectful when he said the hound of heaven. He wasn't being irreverent to God. He was saying that God is of a nature and Jesus Christ is is of a nature where they are in pursuit of me. And I am a Christian today because of the influence of others and because I decided to Jesus Christ to follow Jesus Christ, but mainly, primarily, because Jesus Christ has pursued me. And even when I tried to run away from Him, He chased after me. One way that we could describe the Holy Scriptures, the Bible, is as a story of God's relentless pursuit of His rebellious human creation. Ever since we decided to go our own way in the garden, God has been after us. He has sought after us. He has pursued us. He has tried time and again to rekindle that lost relationship with His precious human creation. He's the hound of heaven. He has been in hot pursuit from those early days in the garden. Some translators believe that verse 6 of Psalm 23 should look a little different than it does in most of our Bibles. Many of us are very familiar with the 23rd Psalm, and we could quote it from front to back, including verse 6, which often reads like this, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. But a lot of Hebrew scholars think that this English word follow is a little too mild for what the Hebrew was. That it should be translated more forcefully with words like hunt me, haunt me, chase me, where we get a translation that reads, surely the goodness and the mercy of the Lord shall pursue me, not just follow me, but chase after me 
all the days of my life. The Hebrew word is much stronger there than we give it credit for in most of our translations. Johnny Cash was one of the most well-known and successful musicians of the 20th century. He sold more than 90 million records worldwide. He was for a short time the host of a popular TV show. And throughout most of his life, he also battled a severe drug addiction. He did several stints in rehab, trying to kick the terrible habit. But despite his substance abuse and other poor life choices that he made, he never totally abandoned the Christian faith in which he was raised. He he, uh, sensed that no matter how hard he tried, he could never quite turn loose from God's grasp. In fact, he said this once upon a time. He said, I used drugs to escape in my younger years, but they devastated me physically and emotionally and spiritually. They put me in such a low state that I couldn't communicate with God. There's no lonelier place to be. I was separated from God, and I wasn't even trying to call on Him. I knew there was no line of communication. But listen to what he says. But he came back, and I came back. Now, I'm not here this morning to argue about whether Johnny Cash was a true believer. I'm simply saying that he could never quite shake the feeling that the hound of heaven was chasing after him. And if we're honest with ourselves, neither can we. Neither can we deny that our God has been pursuing us throughout our lives. I think about a conversation I once had with a Christian man who had made some terrible decisions, who had wandered far from the Lord, but he recounted some events in his life and he said, you know, I'm wondering if this is God trying trying to steer me back, trying to woo me back. He sensed regardless of of the damage that he had done and the destructive choices that he made, he sensed that his God had never quite given up on him, had never abandoned him, had never turned him loose. He sensed that God was still working in his life, chasing after him, pursuing him, trying to win him back. And if we're honest with ourselves, we would also admit that God is in pursuit of us as well. And the Bible As we've seen in Psalm 23, and we could see in many other places, the Bible attests to our shared human experience of being pursued by God, even when we try to run in the opposite direction, even when we try to resist. And nowhere is this more beautifully illustrated than in the book of Hosea, the Old Testament book. And if you have your Bible, why don't you just grab it, open it up to Hosea chapter 1. We'll be in chapter 1, then we'll look at chapter 3. And you may want to refer to the text as we talk about it this morning. Let me set the scene for you. At the writing of Hosea, Israel was just in terrible shape. Dire straits for many reasons. One, the Assyrian kingdom is knocking at their door. And in fact, had already invaded several times. Hosea is often called the deathbed prophet of Israel because he's one of the last to prophesy the word of the Lord to Hosea before the Assyrians came in and took the people of Israel into captivity. So, as Hosea is writing his message to the people of Israel, it is on the eve of destruction and exile at the hands of the Assyrian army. 
But there was also a lot of inner turmoil, politically speaking, in Israel. There was a lot of backstabbing at, at the highest of offices, uh, the king. There was a large turnover in kings and a lot of political intrigue. So there was, not, there was not stability and peace in the land. But most significantly, the people of Israel had turned their back on God. And they were no longer worshiping God primarily, exclusively. They were chasing after other gods, false gods, the Baals, as we read about in the book of Hosea. They were giving homage to them. They were committing adultery on God. They were unfaithful to God. Enter Hosea, God's man, God's prophet. And when God first gets through to Hosea, you know, we often think of prophets as, you know, communicating a word for God. But when God first speaks to Hosea, he doesn't tell him to say something. He tells him to do something. And what is that? Verse 2, when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, he said, Go take to yourself a wife of whoredom, have children of whoredom, for for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. In other words, Hosea, I want you to go and marry a woman who will eventually commit adultery. Go and marry a woman who will be unfaithful to you. Now, can you imagine knowing that about your spouse when you begin your marriage? That at some point along the line, they would be unfaithful to you? God says, when you do that, you will then know how I feel. Because the people have been grossly unfaithful to me. We are supposed to be in a covenant relationship. They are supposed to be exclusively obedient to me, and they're not. I have been cheated on. I have been I have been rebelled against. They have been unfaithful to me. And if you do this, you'll know a little bit about how I feel. And so Hosea goes and he marries a woman named Gomer. And he has three children with this woman. And eventually she does what God said she would do. She winds up with another man. And we get to to, uh, chapter 3. And Hosea can now share in part in God's heartache. But God is not yet done with Hosea. His story is not yet totally written. Look in verse 1 of chapter 3. The Lord said to me, go again. Pursue her again. After she's done what she has done to you. After she's been unfaithful to you. Chase after her again. Love that woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Listen to this even as the the Lord loves the children of Israel. They keep doing this to me, but it does not outweigh my love for them. My love still glows warm, even hot within me for my children. And so, go after her again. Win her back. I know she's been unfaithful to you, but my people have been to me. Love her again as I continue to love my people. Pursue her again. Chase after her. And in verse 2 we see, So, Hosea says, I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and some barley. So apparently his wife, Gomer, is living in some sort of enslavement situation because it costs something to get her back. He has to pay a price in order to win her back. And that's the story of Hosea 
in a nutshell. Hosea, this story before us, vividly illustrates a God who is so dogged in his pursuit of his people that he's willing to redeem them. The book of Hosea, the life of Hosea, the person of Hosea illustrates that. It's a powerful object lesson for a God who loves us so much that he never stops chasing after us that he's even willing to redeem us. It's a story of redemption, which is our one word for the day, our one word for the week, the word that you will be reading about in your devotional book from Monday to Friday this week, a story of redemption. Now, sometimes redemption in the Bible means deliverance, rescue, protection. It has a general meaning. One example is Psalm uh, 25, verse 22, where the psalmist says, Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. In other words, deliver us, rescue us, protect us as we seek to live for you. But sometimes the words in the Old Testament Hebrew and the New Testament Greek that we translate redemption, sometimes they have a narrower meaning. Sometimes they refer to this idea that a price is required to regain or to rescue something that would otherwise be lost. And this is the idea in Hosea. Because it costs something for Hosea to get his wife back. He has to pay a price to her captor. And this is also the idea in our redemption through Christ. Because it costs something for God to win us back. He has to buy us back to redeem us. The Hosea story is as powerful as it has ever been. It would have been powerful to its original audience all the way back in ancient times in Israel. But it becomes even more powerful when Jesus arrives on the scene. Because listen to what Jesus says in in two different places in the Gospels. Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. He says of himself, The Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. To pay the price. The price of rescue. The price of deliverance. The price of redemption. In other words, the Son's life is the price God pays to buy us out of the clutches of Satan. The bondage of sin. And it is a much greater price than what Hosea had to pay. It's the greatest price imaginable. And so God's grace may come free to us, but it doesn't come cheap to him. It cost him the greatest price that can ever be imagined, the life of his only begotten son. In March 2012, Sergeant Dennis Weichel was a U.S. soldier serving a tour of duty in Afghanistan. And he was a Rhode Island National Guardsman. He was riding along in a convoy in the Logman province in eastern Afghanistan when some children... Some native children were spotted on the road ahead. The children were picking up shell casings lying on the road. And the casings are recycled for money in Afghanistan. So they're collecting in order to make some money. Weichel and the other soldiers in the convoy, they got out of their vehicles to to move them out of the way of the heavy trucks that were in the convoy. So the children were moved out of the way. 
But a small Afghan girl darted back onto the road to pick up some more casings that lay underneath a passing mine-resistant ambush-protected vehicle, a huge armored truck that weighs 16 tons, designed to protect the troops that they carry from roadside bombs. Sergeant Dennis Weichel spotted the girl, and he quickly moved toward her to throw her out of the way, and he succeeded, but not before he was run over by that heavily armored truck. The girl was saved, but Weichel later died of his injuries. He gave his life to save hers. And as great as Sergeant Weichel's sacrifice was, God's is infinitely greater. Weichel gave his life to save that one little girl, but Christ gave his life to pay the price for the sins of all humanity, to save us all from our iniquities. And it was a much greater price than just some silver and some barley that Hosea had to pay to his wife's captor to free her, to rescue her. You see, God's pursuit of us is so relentless. He was willing to pay the highest price imaginable to buy us back, to redeem us. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 says it all. In Him, in Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. We have redemption. We've been freed from the clutches of Satan, from the bondage of sin. Redemption through His blood. Because He was willing to pay the price for us. Because He was willing to bore the penalty for our sins. We can be redeemed. While we were still sinners, Christ did that. He died for us. And that's relentless. That's a portrait of a God who will stop at literally nothing in order to win us back, in order to buy us back. The one who gave his life, Jesus Christ, the one who who bore it all for your redemption, he's chasing after you. I don't know if you sense it or not. Maybe some of you do, but even if you don't, he is the hot, the hound of heaven is in hot pursuit. He wants to share a relationship with you. He wants you to experience salvation. He's the shepherd who leaves the 99 to hunt for the one. He's the woman who turns the house upside down to just find that one coin. He's the father who waits patiently on the front porch to welcome his child home, who's sitting there praying every day that they'll return, that they'll repent. And when he sees you coming... He's going to leap off that porch and run to greet you halfway and give you a big hug to welcome you back. He's that father. He stands at your door knocking, knocking, knocking time and again. And yet you sit there and you keep him out. Why don't you open the door this morning for the Savior of the world and let him come in? I think about what Jesus said to Paul when he appeared to him on the road to Damascus. He said, why do you continue to kick against the goads? Why do you continue to resist me? Why do you continue to run against the grain? 
I have sought you. I have pursued you. Answer the door. Respond to me. Experience life through me. I want you to hear the voice of Jesus saying to you today, accept my payment for your sins. Accept the price of my blood for your redemption. Jesus has already gone to the cross to redeem you from your sins. And he's waiting on you to simply acknowledge that and to accept that and to live in a way that shows you believe in that. And some of you sit this morning having not been obedient to the gospel, having not been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Don't wait another day. And here's why. He will not always be knocking. He is currently in pursuit, but that won't always be the case. There will come the judgment. And on that day, his knocking will cease. And so, you need to answer. You need to respond to his pursuit while there's still time. And as I stand here and as you sit here, there is still time. So take advantage of the time that you have as we stand and sing right now.